welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm Rachel Warren. And if I got in trouble for stealing money out of my mom's purse, I would have used it to buy makeup. Amanda, if you got caught stealing out of your mom's purse, what would you have used the money for? Oh my gosh. Either... Well, when? Like, how old am I? So I guess we should be the same age as the kids that are at the the troubled teen camp that Andrew is at. So 16? 16. Oh, I would have probably bought gas mm. or I'm probably iced coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So bad. And I'm a million years old, but I still like we had an iced coffee shop in town where I lived when I was 16. And like, that was it. Well, as we see, that those are much better, I don't know, lesser reasons to be caught stealing from your mom's purse as opposed to the the two parents who are talking this over. And that was what inspired my question today. That was, I really loved that question. It was cool. very unexpected. It was That was good. I liked it. Okay. Well, we'll consider that as an ongoing segment here as we <laughs> dig into season one, episode 18, Children Will Listen. And I am dying laughing as I read that title because no, they often don't. <laughs> I didn't. You probably didn't. No, oh, I that. certainly did not. I was actually laughing. I sent Rachel a screenshot. I'm a huge Broadway nerd, except funny enough, most of the songs that are our titles are not musicals that I are on my love list, but I was listening to Broadway radio on my way to work literally yesterday. And this song came on. So this guy, I'd never heard it before. I, Into the Woods is not a show that I had seen before. So it's a little dark. Yeah. Little- As is the play itself, right? It's like that fractured fairy tale kind of vibe. And I think they're just playing with the title here. But I don't know, though. I have a little synopsis that I stole from the internet. Would you like to hear it? I would indeed, because I would like somebody to deep dive on the title all the time. So I'm in. Okay, so this is A Brother's Grimm. It's an epic fairy tale about wishes, family, and the choices we make. Hmm. The story follows a baker and his wife who wish to have a child, Cinderella, who wishes to attend the King's Festival, and Jack, who wishes his cow would give milk. When the baker and his wife learn that they cannot have a child because of a witch's curse, the two set off on a journey to break the curse. Everyone's wish is granted, but the consequences of their actions return to haunt them later with disastrous results. Well, that does sound like Desperate Housewives by no by all means, completely. Exactly. So many things there track with what we find with our friends on the lane. And that's a much deeper dive into 
you know, the play as a whole. Obviously, I just look at the lyrics and I completely understand the a carefree lad and a childless baker and a young maiden and children will glisten. Children will look to you for which way to turn to learn what to be careful before you say, listen to me, children will listen. So what's ironic to me is what children listen to and what they don't, the selective hearing. My daughter will promise you that I said, boys are dumb. When I, what I said was, I was so excited to learn that you were a girl when you were in my belly. Maybe she's picking up on things I imply, but I didn't say that. I was struck when I looked through the lyrics and actually the part of the song that I heard when I was driving was about parents not knowing what to do. Like, what if I mess it up? I I don't know how to, I didn't have a good role model. I don't know how to be a dad. And so I was really thinking about like, we don't know Bree's history with her parents, but I was really thinking about the challenges that Bree was experiencing and questioning herself as a mom, as I was reading and listening to the lyrics. I like that. Before we get into it, want to hit us with a summary? Oh my gosh. Okay, so so many things are going on. First of all, Carlos is doing some sabotage. And I was confused because I thought Carlos was getting dropped off for his sentence so that Gabby could get that sweet check from the hospital. Mm-hmm. But anyway, more about that later. So we have Carlos and Gabby struggling with that parenting that parenting idea and Carlos wanting Gabby to sign a post nup, which went really wrong on a lot of levels. We have Lynette wanting to go out and meet up with some friends and asking a neighbor to babysit and then not liking how the neighbor chose to handle the Scavo boys. We have Bree struggling with whether or not to go visit Andrew at his outplacement situation. And... Yeah, we have Susan, whose mom comes to town to visit her. We don't see any Edie in this episode, which I thought was kind of interesting. But everybody's got their thing going on that just, you know, combines for all kinds of drama. With that being said, the first... Oh, oh, I didn't talk about written by. So written by Kevin Murphy, directed by Larry Shaw. We've seen this team again. And it first aired April 10th, 2005. And in her first lines, Mary Ellis says, There were many things Gabrielle Solis knew for certain. She knew that red was her color. She knew that diamonds go with everything. And she knew that men were all the same. But one thing she knew for certain was that she would never want children. And we have it interspersed with Gabby somewhat manipulatively, I would say, telling Carlos, I'm so lucky that you know I don't want children, but you do and you are okay with it. But Mary also will go on to say, unfortunately for Gabrielle, her husband felt differently. Yes, Gabrielle knew without a doubt she didn't want to be a mother. But what she couldn't know was just how much her husband wanted to be a father or that he'd been tampering with her birth control for months or that within one week's time, she'd be pregnant. I was waiting for that to come to fruition during this episode. Like I was literally you know, with bated breath, waiting, waiting for Gabby to throw up or, you know, something. But I will say that I was confused because I thought Carlos was going to be going away for what, eight months was not his time. And also him messing with the birth control pills. That was very triggering and upsetting for me. Not from any personal experience, but just from a like, how dare you? How dare you manipulate your wife's body like that? 
Yeah, it speaks to a larger conversation about the ways in which men have felt for a very long time, completely in control of what women do with their bodies. And the fact that women did not have a lot of autonomy over what their reproductive rights were. And we continue to have that struggle from state to state right now. Right now. And I will say as somebody who has been on birth control pills, like there's a hormonal component to that. That's like, I mean, great that he's not great, but like, I get that he's trying to have a baby, but like, there are so many reasons that different people take birth control pills to regulate hormonal, you know, balances. And for you to just play that, like it's a chess match for somebody else is just, nope. Yeah. A lot of, lot of all sorts of layers there that we'll, we'll unpack. Uh, yes. but we can- more onion, more onion than parfait on those particular layers. Because it's stinky? Because it's, yeah. Yeah. It's not good enough to be called a parfait. Mm-mm. Nope. So we start with our framing narrative, right? Saturdays of Wisteria Lane belong to the children. And while most would spend their day practicing their sports, riding their bikes, and skipping their rope, others were no longer engaged in child's play. Indeed, some were being forced to grow up very quickly. And we go over to Paul Young's house, and detectives are at Paul Young's house asking about a toy chest. And Zach is creepily doing the slow rake in the yard. Like That had real Home Alone vibes to me. But mm. instead of shoveling snow with a creepy neighbor, it's raking leaves. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the detectives are asking Paul about this toy chest. He says, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But Zach comes with to the rescue. shifty eyes. He says it was shifty eyes. <laughs> This is a this is a podcast and it's hard to convey those things. I agree, but yes, I would call I would call everything he does shifty. But nonetheless, Zach kind of swoops in there and says, "Oh yeah, a toy chest. I remember that. It busted when I was standing on it." I was really surprised at that because it doesn't track for Zach to cover for his dad. You know? Yeah, I agree, except that he wants to keep the conversation going and perhaps he thinks that the police are going to or the detectives if Paul tells just enough truth that maybe they're going to let up and he's interested and he doesn't necessarily trust everything Paul has ever told him. So he could be looking for some ah, corroboration. Corroboration. Yeah, that's the word. Something to corroborate that story. Could be. So Zach asks why they were asking and the detectives say that a toy chest just like that was found on Torch Lake with a chopped up woman's body inside of it. Like, do police give that much information? Come on. That seems to be a lot of information to just give random civilians who are raking their yard. Only on ABC. I guess. I, well, guess. I don't know. What was the, you know what? Did the news already give it away? Because we saw on the news when the toy chest was found episodes ago. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they said so. I don't know. Could be. Could be. So... Inside, Zach and Paul argue. Zach makes a, obviously, we need to talk kind of Mm -hmm. comment. And Zach accuses Paul of lying. But Paul says he never lied. He just didn't mention that the person was a woman. Because Zach has always thought it was a man in the box. And I'm wondering, Rachel, would it have been better if it was a man in the box or a woman in the box? So I think this speaks to a larger gendered conversation, right? When we think of certain roles, I'm learning, as I learned on my year-long study into gendered labor, we think of particular jobs and 
we associate them with either a man or a woman, depending on the nature of the job. And I think we all have biases that we're guilty of and it doesn't it doesn't do us any, it does us a disservice to say that we don't. So I am sure that based on the way he has been socialized, based on the way that it was 2004, 2005, that if Paul Young said there was a private detective that came and wanted to take him away, I'm sure that Zach would have assumed that it was a man. Yeah. I would agree. And there's some level of gaslighting here. Even if he said it was a woman, I feel like that would have resonated with Zach and he would have, they call it benevolent sexism, when we assume that women don't commit crimes or we assume that women are not going to, like the Lizzie Borden effect basically, is that, you know, they're so moral and they're, they're so sensitive that this is beyond their capability. So it's possible that he would have had more questions because he's more likely to question, well, what could a woman have done that was so bad? Whereas mm-hmm. he it seems to be conditioned to feel that men will do bad things. Yeah. So we're basically led to believe this was the private detective that tried to come take him away that's chopped up in this box. That's what Paul says. Paul says that I told you a private detective came to take you away from the only family that you've ever really known. And we couldn't let that happen. So we chopped her up. He stops just short of saying that, I would say, right? But it's certainly, yeah, There's it's certainly malicious and gross and there's evil there. Definitely. So it's how many questions you want to ask, I guess. Let's go someplace less evil. Okay, go ahead. Let's go to Rex and Bree's. So at the house of the Vandy Camps, Bree is packing up a little care package for Andrew. And she says she is not going to visit Camp Hennessy. And Rex doesn't really understand why she's not going. But Bree says that she doesn't want to go because she feels that she will be attacked by Andrew for abandoning him. And I get how Bree feels terrible. Like Bree, Bree has been made to feel like she's given up on her kid, but she's not quite given up on him because she's trying to sneak some lemon squares into his care package Rex says, you know, he's not allowed to have those. And Brie acts like she's not going to do it. And then in a very unlike Brie moment, she sticks the container in there and tapes the box shut. So. I thought it was also uncharacteristic of Brie for the rationale to be, okay, fine, I won't do it, but it's a stupid rule. That just sounds very immature. It sounds very not in keeping with Brie. Like mm-hmm. she would have a more articulate and well-reasoned rationale for why she is or isn't going to do something. So I don't know if that was just lazy writing or if it's indicative of the fact that she's not thinking straight. Yeah, could be. Either lousy writing or brilliant writing, and it just eludes me. Hard to say. Thanks. Thanks, Amanda. So I'll take us over to Lynette's house where her hair is half in curlers, but she's wearing a smoking hot dress. Mm -hmm. And Christy, the babysitter, is canceling. She's trying to weasel out of her commitment to watch the Scavo children. And instead, it sounds like she's going to the mall. Lynette says, you know, this seems to be an issue of price. So what's it going to cost to change your mind? Christy apparently alludes to $100, which Lynette says is extortion. And I'm just putting it out there, both on a Lynette Scavo and a Felicity Huffman place, this is just a place for us all to laugh. Mm -hmm. For both reasons, right? The Yes. You're now so pure that you can't be extorted from. You just commit bribery on other in other ways. 
Correct. I really enjoyed Parker being a little bit of a maniac, ripping the buds off of the flowers and just throwing them in her house. Like that, it is just a hundred percent chaos all the time. I wonder if she even recognizes that there's just so much. There's just so much happening all over the place. I Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if that's the one thing you're like, yeah, that's not going to cause anybody bodily harm. Yeah. So Lynette decides a hundred dollars is too much and calls up Patty Binks, who. She didn't want to call because she's a little bit of a thief, but here we are. So apparently whatever she assumes that Patty Brinks is going to steal is worth less than $100 plus the cost of her babysitting. Correct. Fair enough. Is it $100 and the cost of babysitting or was it just a $100 flat rate for the job? I think that Christy would have just gotten $100 and was just requesting $100. So I believe that Patty Binks, whoever, whatever her fee is, mm-hmm. Lynette is costing, is putting into her opportunity cost there that mm-hmm. something will be stolen. Maybe she just assumes she's got a bunch of cheap shit lying around and it's not going to be $100 altogether. Could be. Sounds like good logic. Fair enough. Well, over at Gabby and Carlos's, Gabby walks in and Carlos is meeting with the hospital administrator and is sharing the settlement that was offered to Gabby. And Carlos is on fire. He says that they should have used the money for his defense. And Gabby's like, bro, you did the crime. You deserve a timeout. Also, we need something to build. One way or another, we would have either lost every dime that we had and the house through your defense, or you're going to do eight months. And when you leave, we will have money to start over. And someday you'll see that I did the right thing. And when you figure that out, I would appreciate an apology. Yes. And also, I really enjoyed Carlos's comment. Thanks to you, I'm going away for eight months. Excuse me, sir. This is not Gabby's fault that you were using slave labor. That is not Gabrielle's fault. Not in there are many things, many things that are Gabrielle's fault. This, sir, is not one of them. Not undoubtedly that he had said earlier, well, I was trying to keep you happy. You're a little materialistic if you haven't noticed. He's guilty of the crime, but he's also guilty of blaming it on Gabby in other ways. Mm-hmm. Also, that man is pretty materialistic as well. No kidding. Yeah, she said the same thing. She's like, as soon as this person got went out and got a new car, you went out and got a new car because you have to keep up with the Joneses. So take responsibility for your own level of materialism. Sir. Over at Susan's, Susan's mother, Sophie, arrives. We have a new character alert. Mm-hmm. If I had like fancy, I think they're called stings in podcast language. If I had one, this is where one would go. And she announces herself to uh, to Wisteria Lane by hitting Mike's truck. She's irritating. Like in my notes, it literally says she pisses me off. Now she's oh, yeah, she's a child, right? And and we'll talk more about how we have children parenting their parents. And I have to say, yes, she pisses me off. The Interesting part of this is Susan pisses me off because she expects too much of Julie and Julie is always cleaning up her messes. However, mm-hmm. we're seeing that apple and tree, maybe not so far. Right. So she introduces herself to Mike and basically throws herself at him. And that's real awkward, which makes me feel for Susan. And then in the midst of getting to know Mike, she shares that she got pregnant by a Marine when she was a tiny teenager. And poor Susan looks like she wants to be swallowed up by the sidewalk at this time. And Mike even makes the comment, 
when he's giving Susan kind of a, a look, he's like grinning at her and she says, what's your problem? And he said, you know, all the questions I've ever had about how you became the way you are have now been answered. And I think it's a fair assessment. It's just so frustrating. But are Susan and Mike on terms that allow for this type of joking at this point? I think he assumes that they will at some point and that the relationship isn't over for him. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a weird exchange for me because I was like, you guys aren't buddies to, to be able to give her a rib like that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, Bree's out getting her mail and here comes Lynette with the stroller and the makeup and the hair and the dress and basically railroads and guilts Brie into watching her clan. Absolutely. Oh, Brie, you should have said no. To her detriment, Brie is going to say yes, but she was trying so hard to be the the Homer Simpson going into the hedge. Yes, totally. She was, she was working so hard to get back in that house. Why did she have to go out to the mailbox right now? Probably to send a letter to Andrew. I mean, there's so much going on right now. There's so much trauma and hematomas on top of hematomas here. And the last thing she needs is to have her house invaded by young children who are not well behaved. Mm. Yeah, that was a lot. Well, we know that's going to go badly before we even watch that part of the episode. So back at Susan's, Sophie doesn't understand why somebody with such nice manners would commit murder as Susan's telling all about why she and Mike have split. And then Sophie shares that she and her longtime boyfriend Morty have split and that Morty is a little physical with her. And Susan, I was really upset with Susan. Like maybe she ought to be a little bit more supportive of the domestic abuse happening with her mom. Like she wasn't asking questions. She was more like, well, you know, is it really that bad? And I was like, this episode to me was real lighthearted with the domestic abuse. And it it bothered me like multiple times. I don't know how you felt about it, but yeah, I agree completely. It's that there is a certain level of abuse you should be willing to take, whether it be emotional, physical, or otherwise, that there is some level of tolerance you should have for this based on your status in life, whether that's your age Uh, And that are you likely to attract another partner, whether it's your financial situation. That's you should let somebody grab your ass so that they'll pay your husband two hundred thousand dollars. Like absolutely, and I think it. You know, again, it's a marker of the times. Is that Susan does expect her to tolerate something in exchange for the fact that she doesn't have anywhere to go. And is it really that bad? I don't think we would ever be in a situation in 2022 where we ask someone who is telling us this is it really that bad we would not to our benefit that we've learned but i bet there were people in 2004 2005 making that argument i guess there's probably people making that argument now i hope that they are learning different ways but yeah yeah I was really waiting for Susan to cut her hand while she was chopping those onions during this whole conversation. I guess I was so I was more upset about the conversation about relationships than thinking about how it's out of character for Susan to not have made a mess of something right now. Mm, That's why I was waiting. I was like, here it comes. She's chopping onions vigorously and not looking at what she's doing. She's going to chop the finger. She looks like she knows what she's doing in the kitchen and that's not that's not her MO. 
No, but it still, she was very vigorously chopping and looking at her mom. And I, I was like, this is, this is where this is going to go. And then it didn't. And I was sad. I wasn't sad, but I was disappointed because I thought it was, there was going to be some mishap with part of her pinky or something. I think it's also juxtaposed by some lighthearted banter about Sophie's age and Susan saying, you know, you're not getting any younger, you know, or the equivalent. And Sophie saying, people think we're sisters. And Susan saying, because you, you tell them. <laughs> and she said one time, you're going to have to get over that. And it's, you know, again, I think it's against that backdrop, but it could have been more powerful. And I think what we would have done in 2022 was have, something really dark made more palatable by some level of banter, but it wouldn't have been uncomfortable and it wouldn't have been pro domestic violence. Nope. At the same time, we walk over to Bree's house where she has the Scavo children and we see that Porter is messing with hot cookies and Bree to her benefit is saying, Hey, those are hot. As soon as they cool, I will make you a plate. I wouldn't have necessarily thought that that's what she was going to do. I thought there might be rules in her house about sugar and things like that. But, you know, great. It seemed, it seemed like she's trying to do something nice for the kids. And making cookies is one of the things that she's thinking that she could do. So mm-hmm. just chill out, Porter. But meanwhile, Preston and Parker are scribbling. And she tells them, you know, it's also nice when you draw inside the lines or color inside the lines. And they continue not to. And she seems to be totally accept, you know, somewhat accepting of that. She's like, yeah, well, art is, you know, art is. Subjective. Thank you. There you go. Subjective. I think that's what she said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she ha- seems to be somewhat accepting of that. And then just to, you know, make it worse, we then have Porter messing with the cookies again. And she says, if you don't stop messing with those cookies, I'm going to spank you. And we learn that Lynette does not spank her children. And she she says it all the time, and then it doesn't happen. And the boys say that, right? Yeah. And if if we remember back to the Mrs. McCluskey incident of 2004, 2005, she Mm -hmm. sets out these, you know, what, a spatula, a whisk, some other things. And she's like, pick your, you know, pick your poison. What would you like me to beat you with? And she's not going to do it. But the boys do seem to think she's going to. At that point, they do. But here they're like, yeah, lady, people say that all the time. It never happens. But Brie makes it clear that in my house, I do spank. And so please don't get into any trouble. Don't don't make me do that. And of course, he can't help it. Porter knocks the cookies onto the floor and Brie is pissed. Those were from scratch. Okay, now, that there's a part where it's not okay and about what you're doing is okay so if they were the break and bake kind that i buy it should be okay for somebody to knock the cookies onto the floor children do make mistakes he i do drop things in my kitchen all the time but porter was not listening so i wish her rationale had been you've broken my rules three times or right. as, as david rhodes would say i've told you thrice <laughs> and now That's your fate is sealed because the cookies were from scratch that's problematic Yes. And so she puts him over her knee and spanks his little butt. And his brothers are like, <gasps> this will and come it sounded like a pretty vigorous crack. And it sounded three times, right? And also, we don't see it necessarily. We only hear it. And this will come back up when we do our two truths and a lie. So let's okay. we'll go back to that. How do you feel about Brie spanking somebody else's kid? I figured this would come up and 
we don't do that. We don't, we don't spank. We did try when she was really little, like, because she didn't seem to get it that you can't walk into the middle of the street and things like that. Just things that didn't seem to be happening. Our nanny did hand slaps. And so we tried it. It didn't seem to work. So it's a practice we abandoned pretty quickly. On top of that, it's, you know, kind of, it's an unenlightened practice. So there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of evidence that it's helpful Mm -hmm. in the long term. In terms of hitting somebody else's kid, I actually, yeah, yeah, I actually did have an experience with this that somebody in my life, their child, it's not hitting, but it's kind of grabbing their face and Mm -hmm. putting right in their face. And I'm not even comfortable with that with another child. So had that, you know, if that was a rule or something that their mom drops me off, drops them off and say, says, if they're doing something, you really have to do this. I just don't think that I can do that. I certainly wouldn't be okay with it if my daughter went over to somebody else's house and they did it. Mm -hmm. So what about Mm -hmm. you? I mean, not being a parent, like I don't really, it's not been something that I've thought about, but I was very shocked to see Brie of all people put hands on someone else's kid. Like that just didn't, to me, that that didn't track with her. And also without, with like having the kids say our mom doesn't do this and she still did it. I was like, oh, wow. And she seemed shocked. Mm -hmm. She did. She did. Hmm. Yeah. It was an odd scene. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of an odd scene, actually, this wasn't an odd scene. This was a, (laughs) this was a scene. This is a really triggering scene. Yeah. At Carlos and Gabby's, um, Carlos rolls out a post-nup and wants Gabby to sign this paper saying that she will be around when he gets out of prison and he'll be faithful to her. And Gabby is furious and doesn't want to sign it. And Carlos is like, well, you're really beautiful, but you're not very smart. If you don't sign it, I divorce you and you get half of nothing. And... Finally, he's working and trying to get her to sign the post-nup and he loses it and threatens to divorce her. She tells him she knows about his offshore accounts, didn't burn the papers that she was supposed to burn. And he gets so mad and throws a vase at the wall. And all of this is abuse too. Yes. Yes. And my husband was like, my husband was like, I have a hard time because he was sitting next to me watching it with me. Uh, he said, I have a hard time determining which of them is the worst. Fair. Totally fair. But mm-hmm. I guess, again, a 2004 reading versus a 2005 reading. If Gabby were my friend, it would have been, you need to pack your stuff because mm-hmm. a man who's going to throw that vase against the wall at you it's gonna will, throw you will eventually kill you. And yeah. That's where I am with that. So while she seems to fire back as if they're in some way equally dangerous to one another, I don't feel that way. And that I just don't. He, she's this small and she's in danger. Yeah. And it just, it, you're right. It's very triggering on top of that. And I have a very hard time with any friend of mine being told, if you don't do this, I will divorce you. If you're at the edge of divorcing somebody, then you're already there. Yeah. And so I'm like, what? So they, so she signs the paper and then jumps right back into his arms. Like, Oh, how is this going to have a good ending? 
Right. I feel like there's so much damage that's being done to this relationship. But but then again, they're they're very volatile like that. We've seen that before where they've been ugly to each other and then like, you know, they love on each other in the next scene. So they're confounding. That's not for me. I can't I can't pivot that fast. To make things a little bit lighter, we can go over to poker and we see that Sophie has joined the game and it will stay light for just a moment before things get super tense here. Lynette thanks Brie for babysitting and Brie said that she had a wonderful time, but maybe Porter didn't because he misbehaved and she had to spank him. She says it so, I guess I would go flippantly or that it, first of all, I'm shocked that Brie had a lovely time. Outside of having to spank Porter. I also find it really curious that Porter, that the first words in, of Porter's, out of Porter's mouth when he walked into his mother's loving arms wasn't, I got spanked. I cannot right. believe it made it until poker before they found out, before Lynette heard about this. Yes, agree. Yeah, Lynette is incensed, but this is interspersed with talk of Susan and Sophie going to the spa, which is super awkward, but I am so that person who is trying to, uh, lighten the mood or trying to defuse mm-hmm. the situation. Diversion it's, tactics. It's actually my toxic trait though, because this discussion needs to happen. And I would be the person like Sophie or Susan trying to stop it from happening. And it really does need to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bree says, you know, I apologize. I'll never do it again. But honestly, I'm surprised that you haven't spanked your boys considering how poorly behaved they are. Everybody knows they're a little out of control. Wow. Come on, Brie. And then Lynette comes back guns a blazing and says, oh, well, your kids turned out perfect as long as you don't count Andrew. Where is he again? Right. And she doesn't even know that he's the reason Mama Solis is dead. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. That didn't spark in my mind until you just said it. That's perfect. But, oh, man. They don't even know the half of it. No, they don't. And with that, Brie leaves. We come back a little bit later to Lynette's and we see that Lynette and Tom are discussing the situation. And again, Lynette is incensed. Tom says that Brie was wrong to do what she did. She should not have spanked Porter, but Porter was not harmed. Again, I'm going to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, the long range. Right. You know, what happens later with Porter? I guess we can come back to this moment and, and talk about it. But that Porter is okay. Interestingly, he doesn't mention, it's weird that Porter didn't talk about this, but Lynette takes it pretty dark and we get kind of an understanding of her past trauma that Lynette says that she will not become her, that she will not become her mother. And it's obvious there is trauma here. And this is in my, if I'm remembering right, the very first time that this is mentioned that Lynette has some trauma in her past dealing with a parent who was apparently an alcoholic and apparently abusive. Tom does share that he thinks the boys have figured it out. Like they're getting too old and it's not working and they need to find something that that works. And I'm here for that problem solving, but I actually hope that they do that problem solving. Also, Lynette's arms in this scene are freaking goals. Okay. Oh my gosh. I really just think about my own arms as I did that. I was like, ooh, bicep muscles. They are goals and they make me, I'm, they make me want to go do a 10 minute arm workout four times a day. I won't. Don't worry. But (laughs) I'll forget I said I wanted to after, you know, two days from now, but like her arms are just, I'm envious of those arms. 
You want to take us over to Felicia's? Sure. So Felicia is bringing bags of groceries inside and asks Zach for some help. Zach comes in. She says, there's some banana bread in it for you. Mm -hmm. And Zach comes in and sits down to eat his banana bread. And Felicia kind of gets a little gets a little um, nosy and asks about the, the arguing that's going on at the young house. And Zach gets a little emotional. We see his nose turn red and his eyes kind of turn red. And and Felicia says, wow, things must have been different when your mom was alive. She was so warm and loving and shares with Zach that she knew Mary Alice when they were in Utah and worked with her and then shares that she even knew Zach when he was a baby and that his mom loved him so much. And Zach starts to get really emotional and then shock the world. She says, I also remember how lovely your original name was. And it occurs to Zach at this moment in time that he's Dana. I, this is one of those moments that I'm so sad we don't watch the episodes together because as I was going through my notes, I just thought about what it must have been for you when you saw this realization. How do you feel? Shocked, Rachel. <laughs> I feel shocked. What Are the shit? Upset? Are you upset? Because sometimes those reveals can be like, hey, that was a red herring. Hey, that was not fair. Hey, you know. No, I'm not mad. Although, is there still a sister? I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah. Yeah. So also, I don't know. Like, I'm not mad. I didn't see this coming. And I don't, rem- again, I don't remember this at all. What? So what's interesting to me about this is I think there is a potential for a plot hole because as the things that we remember or things that we know already, Paul told Zach, Dana is very much alive. You didn't kill anyone, Zach. And then we don't see what he tells him in the car. We don't know that. All we know is that when they emerge from the car, Zach seems to have as many answers as he, like he feels good about the answers he's received. And he also feels that he has some level of some leverage over Paul at this point. And so the fact that it looks like Zach has this epiphany about yeah. Dana, that his name was Dana, it seems like there's not congruence here because mm-hmm. if Paul already told him that Dana is still alive, and now he has a realization that his name was Dana. Who did he think Dana was before this conversation, if not him? Well, that's what I'm saying. Was there a sister? Because he sounded like he remembered a sister. Okay. I mean, so when there was all the blood, mm-hmm. was that the lady that came to get him? Seems like that could be a, a one one answer. It could also be, but it certainly, apparently it doesn't seem like it was Dana's blood. If he's Dana and he doesn't have memory of being hurt in his own blood, being the. Right. Right. And then I went, so I wonder if there was like a scuffle because there's blood on the blanket, right? Was there blood on the blanket? It felt like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if there was a scuffle with the lady that came to get him. And this tracks with the, there's no pictures of other kids in the house. Mm -hmm. And that anyway. but he seemed like he was down with having a sister. Like that was, that seemed, I don't know. Maybe I'm constructing a memory. I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting as we move forward with this. But nonetheless, we go over to the spa where Sophie is just having the time of her life hanging out with Susan. Very, very excited to be having this time with her. But Susan starts suggesting that Sophie call Morty. And Sophie 
you know, is not interested in doing so? Why would you want me to go back to somebody who is abusive to me? And Susan asks what Sophie's planning to do if she doesn't go back to Morty in terms of living arrangements. And Sophie seems to say, well, I thought I'd stay with you, which gets such a response from Susan that she kicks her pedicurist in the face. Breaks her nose and says something about how long would you do that? And Sophie's like, I don't know, a couple of years. And Susan's like, no. (laughs) Now, with that in mind, I understand what Susan is saying, because I think there's been multiple situations where I didn't want somebody living with me. I would help them find a solution to a problem, but the solution was not going to be moving in with me and my family. Right. Susan is just, I mean, she's not sensitive. She shouldn't need to house her mom. She should help her, but she's not sensitive to the fact that her mom is feeling, um, it sounds to me like she's feeling unsafe at this point. And Sophie says, you know, Susan won't be happy until I have bruises. Mm -hmm. And Susan's like, what, he shoves you once in five years. Like that makes it okay. Yeah. Are you allowed so many shoves in a year? You want to know how many shoves are okay in five years, Susan? Exactly zero. That's (laughs) From the math teacher among us, the answer is zero. The limit does zero. not exist. The limit exists. Oh, sorry. The limit does exist? It does. Okay. If it's zero, yeah. Zero is a limit? I don't know. Okay. That math's over my head. All right. Mine too. I only know that from Mean Girls, and I don't think that's very mm-hmm. reliable. I don't know what kind of math training Tina Fey got. With that being said, take us to an old character. So, John, here's John running down the street shirtless. Like and. You. Right. And, but Gabby is in like her little, you know, cropped long sleeve jogging sweatshirt and long sleeve pants. And then there's John in just a pair of shorts, but they're running past each other. And it looks for a minute like they're going to stop. They both take their earbuds out and they, they kind of look at each other. And then John starts to come across the street and Gabby's like, nope, don't do it. And then Gabby turns and runs in the other direction. And we can tell that she that she really wants to see him and visit with him. Yes. And he looks frustrated. Like he mm-hmm. gives her the look like like shrugging the shoulders. Like you took your earbuds out. Looked like you mm-hmm. wanted me to talk to you and changes her mind. Yes. Back at Bree's house, Bree hasn't gotten dressed yet. She says that she was hoping to wear Andrew's favorite color, but she's realized that she doesn't know what that is. And she looks dejected that she doesn't know him well, that she knows Danielle's favorite color. She knows Rex's favorite color. She knows her own favorite color, but that she's not as connected with Andrew. And to her, this means that she's not a good mother. And and Rex isn't going to take that. Rex tells her that she is a good mother. And says, I think the fact that you want to come at all is great. This is Rex's best so far. They are, this seems like a real partnership. Mm -hmm. And If I were going to say anything to parents that feel like maybe they aren't as connected with their children, if while they're trying their very best, one, children change all the time. So some of these things do change. Also, if you think enough to wonder whether you're a good parent, you're probably a better parent than you think you are. Because in my experience, people who are bad parents never question the fact that they're not good parents. Interesting. Interesting. Carlos basically becomes a menace, threatening to divorce her. Gabby says she's going to go to the police. Carlos is like, well, that's not going to help because I moved the money. And Gabby tries to leave, but Carlos literally picks her up and throws her, screaming into the chair and yells in her ears. 
and grabs her arm and just is really physical with her. And she signs it and storms out. And what's the comment he makes about like sucks to lose or whatever? Like they traded those barbs in the, the previous scene before he throws the vase or after maybe either one that she said, I know, baby, it hurts to lose. And that's what Carlos fires back as if those two are even remotely close to be. No, Gabby, GTFO, pack your shit or leave your shit. I don't care. Just get out and do not come back. Again, confounding, super problematic relationship. After she does sign the post-nup, Gabby is allowed to leave because she storms out. It's just so heavy. It's really heavy. Really heavy. But my husband's sitting next to me and goes, she's going to go over to that teenager's house now, isn't she? Oh, I know. Predict the future. And the Gabby apologist in me is like, good for her. Not good. This is all toxic. Nothing about this is good, but does it make sense? Absolutely. So um, we'll get there soon. But before that, we'll go over to Camp Hennessy. And the counselor comes out and says that Andrew is refusing to do the session, the, the counseling session, if his mother attends. And Rex is furious. Again, we're seeing a real partner in Rex that he's not going to let Bree be disrespected. But Bree wants him to go talk to Andrew. One, they came all this way. Second, you know, one of us should see him. So Bree insists that Rex goes inside, and he does. And we do see... Andrew, just from a distance, hugging Rex, making eye contact, it looks like, with Brie, but not acknowledging her. No. And the I feel like we can tell Brie is crushed, but I feel like the fact that she had Rex go shows that she's a good mom because she's not letting her, her feeling of being left out get in the way of Andrew getting to connect with his other parents. Yeah. She loves Andrew more than she feels for herself. Yes. And I think that's indicative of good parenting. Yes, agree. So back over to the Scavos. Parker's toothbrush is in the toilet. These boys are up to no good trying to get ready for bed. And Lynette tells them to brush their teeth. And Preston pretends he's going to throw his his toothbrush in the toilet too. Because Lynette has said to Parker, like, well, I guess you're off the hook tonight. Gross. Um, Yeah, bad. So Preston doesn't listen to Lynette's threats and looks like he's really going to do it. And Lynette Basically does that, you know, who's watching Santa Claus thing here (laughs) and says, I'll take you over to Mrs. Vandy Camp's house and you know what happens when she gets mad. So she's now, instead of coming up with a solution for, you know, her kids, she's using Brie as a threat. Brie is apparently the solution. Whatever. (laughs) I know. I know. Preston immediately complies and so do the rest of the boys. They've never been so excited to remove some plaque. Yeah, they were like ready to be in ship shape. So, officer. which toothbrush is Parker going to use now? Is he going to share her toothbrush? I think none. Well, don't you have extra toothbrushes around your house? Yes, I do because the dentist always gives us an extra one. So, there's always an extra one in this house because we all have electric toothbrushes. Hmm. What kind of electric toothbrush do you use? Or LB. I use a Quip. Okay. Oh, yes, because that, that'll send the data to your phone and stuff, right? Oh, no. Is that I don't know. Maybe a, the high-tech one. I just have the one where you just, like, you get your new toothbrush heads in the mail every little bit. Oh, okay. Well, there's one, and I think it comes from Target, that they tell you the data on your plaque and everything. So oh, my God. I can only handle so much input of data. I guess that's fair. It doesn't really matter, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, so we're back at Camp Hennessy, and Bree hears these two moms talking about... 
their kids stealing out of their purses. So Tug went through my purse and the other mom says, was he looking for weed or money? And I would just, that took me out. That right there took me out. Well, um, so, that it inspired my opening question today. I loved it. I loved it. So that mom is upset because now there's some social worker telling her how to raise her boy. And Brie, Brie has just had enough. Brie storms into the counseling session talking about how she's provided everything, education, love, and a clean, safe home. I've given you these things and I'm done feeling guilty. I state for the record, I am a good mother. And Rex divulges that Andrew has just told him that he thinks he's gay. And that's why he didn't want Brie in the session to start with. Now, perhaps the counselor should have indicated that eventually Brie was going to be invited into the session. I think that that, like, to me, that's what that implied when he said he didn't want you here to start with because he wanted to tell me this first because he was afraid of how you would take it. And Brie takes it exactly the way that Andrew thinks she's going to and leaves to go to the car. And I just was like, come on, Brie, this was your chance. Like this was really your chance to make it okay. Yeah, I I agree. And, but what's interesting to me is I believe I remember as a fresh watch, like 14 or 15 years old watching this episode. And when it happened that the counselor said, you won't be allowed in my immediate problem solving kicking in is, Okay, well, you go in, Rex, and I will hope that maybe he'll invite me in before the end of the session. Mm. So I feel like we were going in the right direction. I agree with you that the counselor might have started with, to begin, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if he wants you there. Let's see how the session progresses, and then right. we'll come back to that. We'll, we'll revisit that. To me, it seemed more like a slammed door in the face was what was communicated to Bree. Absolutely, and I think the counselor should be aware of what that's going to do to a parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, my husband turns out is very good at telling the future because Gabby does show up at John's and immediately throws herself at him. John notices the red mark on Gabby's wrist and is ready to go beat Carlos's ass for beating on his wife. And God, you got to love John's energy to try to do what's right and try to swoop in and save Gabby. Like I'm here for that, you know? Gabby says, though, Gabby's being strategic, and she'd rather be able to say to Carlos that he drove her into John's arms later on down the road, rather than John going over and doing something now, which that just is incredibly manipulative. And if you're John, what you should be hearing right there is, this isn't about you, John. This is your pawn in this bullshit game that is going on at the Celise house. Whether or not that's what John should be hearing, what he does hear is basically this is, you know, the binding verbal contract that eventually we're going to be together. It's not going to be an easy road, but eventually we're going to be together, which we know he really thinks Mm -hmm. based on his conversation with Susan earlier at the fashion show that this isn't just about sex. We really are in love and eventually we're going to be together, which Susan's like, you're nuts. It's never going to happen. So yes, what Gabby says, totally manipulative. And you know what? I don't even know if in the very moment she thinks that that's what she's going to do because she's just so, she's so enraged and things are going Mm -hmm. so fast. We all tell ourselves lies and this could be a lie that she's telling herself, but it's so damaging and so problematic. And she says, whatever you do, don't call me beautiful. Cause that's what Carlos calls her. Like, ugh. yes. 
Over at Morty's Diner, yes, I am going to make that segue. Thank you very much. I can make that transition. Um, Susan arrives with Sophie, and we find out that Morty is Bob Newhart. I was so excited. I'm like, it's Papa Elf. (laughs) And also Dick Loudon from Newhart. Whenever I love me some classic TV, I'm not as huge of a fan of the Bob Newhart show, but I did love Newhart. And if I'm ever talking to somebody and I say, I liked Newhart, but I didn't like the Bob Newhart show, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, no, Newhart, where he was an innkeeper in Vermont. Oh, yeah. It's totally different than Bob Newhart, where he is a psychiatrist living in, I think, New York or Chicago. I think it was Chicago. Yes. Totally different. Wow. I totally, that's okay. Yeah. I totally forgot. Anyway, that was my, that was my diverging. My diverging. Yeah. Um, Morty does not have to. So Susan is like, please, sir, take her back. And Morty's like, I don't have time for her hysterics. I'm trying to grow a chain of pancake restaurants. Oh, for all. Which is a great dream. I could eat pancakes for every meal of the day. I know, but... Also, I live on a very quiet street, and I swear to God, a UPS driver just went 45 right in front of my house. Our children shouldn't have to live in fear. Seriously. I just turned into my grandmother. I was going to scream at him out my window. So we also find out that Morty only shoved Sophie because she wouldn't stop hitting him. Because he threw a book at her. But Sophie was a paperback. It was a paperback. No, it's not okay. None of this is okay. None of it's okay. No, Susan's like, you guys are great when there's no violence. (laughs) What the hell? I know it's written for comedy, but yeah, you're just, everything that's happening right here is so bad. What did you call it? All seasons in a day. So it's just crazy. He doesn't want to take her back. He's trying to start the second restaurant. But Susan says that he has to take her back because she cannot live with her. And it seems that Morty really responds to that. That Morty's like, okay, all right, I'll go talk to her. So it's interesting to me that he cares that much about Susan's well-being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Susan's got her back to the window, getting a fresh pour from a, a pot of coffee, talking about nature's joke that kids end up parenting their parents. Susan, your child parents you 100% of the time. Like, how? okay. But as this conversation's happening, Sophie is just beating uh, on Morty to the point where the waitress is like, you need to go out there and break up that fight. Oh, I don't need my boss to come back in all bruised and beaten from this woman. Okay. Brie goes out to the mailbox and sees Lynette. And I feel like she's demurring a bit, like, this person doesn't want to talk to me. But Lynette walks over to talk to Brie, and Lynette apologizes. Brie says, oh my gosh, I should be the one apologizing. It's so it's so meaningful to me that yeah. they're both having this conversation. And Brie feels like the worst mother in the entire world for all sorts of reasons. And then she's done this and and messed up a relationship with her, her friend. So it's so nice that something is going to go better for Brie, which is that she and Lynette are able to mend their fences. Lynette offers to have Brie come inside for coffee and to bitch about their kids. I am surprised they're going into Lynette's house. I would have. Yeah. I was like, you're going across the street. No, you're in the wrong house. There's better snacks at Breeze. Are you kidding me? For sure. Breeze. You know, there's fresh baked goods there. 
Yes, those kids that didn't make it. I'm sure she couldn't leave that untended. She made another from scratch thing of cookies and I will bet my name on it. Yeah, or muffins or some kind of like zucchini bread with some delightful glaze. Also, is she wearing green on purpose? Yeah. That was really sweet. I noticed that. And that was a good green on her too. I think that works. And yeah, I think Brie looks great in green because she's a redhead and I just think that's a great color on her. But yeah, Mm -hmm. with Lynette wearing it, I love that we're pulling that out and somebody was really thinking about it. That Mm -hmm. just like Brie wanted to wear the right color to see Andrew, Mm -hmm. that Lynette is wearing this color and it feels like it's emblematic. No, I didn't even notice Lynette was wearing it. I was talking about Brie wearing it. I thought she was wearing the... mm, Brie had on a green sweater. Yeah, but it felt like... Did Lynette also? So to me, that looks green. Yeah, maybe like a light sagey green. And it has the, like the, you know, a pattern, like like you do because you're, because... Right. But, and she had one button open on it. I was like, what's the point of one button, Lynette? It's like the one button up from the bottom. Yeah. And maybe it was to make her look disheveled. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like they try to make her frumpy or, yeah, harried or something like that. So... Mm-hmm. In the last lines, we have Mary Alice saying, children come into the world with their own agendas, some to brighten our days, some to test our patience, and some to give us purpose, some to take care of us. Yes, when they come, children change everything, especially when they're not invited, which is a close-up of Gabby and John, and we know she will be pregnant within a week, and I wonder who the daddy is. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. So that brings us to our two truths and a lie, Amanda Baum. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. These are quotes from the actors who played their characters. So think about it as coming from the actor, not from the character. Okay. Sure. So we have Ricardo Antonio Shavira, who plays Carlos, saying, I didn't realize that people were going to react so strongly to the plot about Carlos tampering with Gabrielle's birth control. Okay. We have, I guess this isn't an actor, but it's Mark Cherry. We have Mark Cherry saying, with this pregnancy storyline, we had a feeling some of the fans were ahead of us. She's having sex with two different guys and Carlos has been tampering with her birth control. Or... Do we have Marsha Cross saying, I was really concerned about this scene where corporal punishment is involved. One of those is a lie. Which one is it? I think Bree's quote is a lie. You got it two weeks in a row. Way to go. Boom, boom, boom. Way to go, Amanda Baum. You are knowing your facts that I make up. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So next week we go to Live Alone and Like It. Hmm. I wonder who's going to be living alone. I wonder what my question is going to be for our friend question. But until then, I am Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.